Thank you, Jordan, for reading our scripture tonight. Thank you for being here. We are looking tonight at Daniel 2, specifically verse 44. And there are more copies. Hey, little friend. <laughs> there are some more copies of the key verses. If you don't have a copy of that, uh, I'd encourage you to get one. Yvette made some and put them out in the hallway. And we've got 52 verses. Let me just ask this question tonight. How many of you have memorized or tried to memorize at least one verse? Outstanding. Excellent. I don't want to make anybody feel bad, but I, listen, I really, really appreciate your effort. And I appreciate so much your desire to try to commit to memory these verses. I know that some of the verses are probably a little bit more difficult to memorize than others, but it's amazing how quickly you catch on. And, you know, I think about many of us haven't been, we haven't been in school in a long time, but old, old habits come back quickly, don't they? And so, no? <laughs> okay. Well, you know, uh, the power of positive thinking. So anyway, thank you for your effort, and please continue to try to memorize these verses. Tonight we're looking at Daniel 2.44. Next week in our study we'll be looking at Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And these are really just foundational verses that will help us in our discussion with other people. It will also help us to, to really, I think, become better acquainted with foundational truths that are recorded in Scripture. So I want to encourage you to continue to study, to memorize these verses. Tonight we look at Daniel 2, verse 44. When you look at Daniel chapter 2, of course, historically speaking, Babylon is the reigning kingdom or nation at that point in time in history. They came to power in about 625 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar was the head over the Babylonian kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar, as you know from reading Daniel chapter 2, had a dream and did not understand the dream, couldn't remember the dream. Wanted his magicians and astrologers, sorcerers to tell him the dream and give its interpretation. They could not do that. And so he threatened them with death. And finally, we read about Daniel coming to the fore. We don't have time to go back and to look at all the historical information concerning the dream and obviously the things that are said in the first part of the chapter. But I want to pick up tonight in verse 28. We've got a lot of material to try to get through, and so I want to pick up tonight in verse 28. We're going to be talking about the indestructible kingdom of God. And as I think about our subject tonight, when we look at Daniel 2.44, it is a pivotal passage of Scripture because really it ties in to so many passages of Scripture in the New Testament, not to mention the Old Testament. One of the companion texts in Daniel chapter 2 would, would be Isaiah chapter 2, and we'll look at that in just a moment or two. So tonight as we look at the indestructible kingdom of God, I want to pick up in verse 28, and I want us to just consider for a moment or two what has been recorded by the prophet beginning in verse 28. 
Daniel here reveals the source by whom he is able to interpret this dream to give its significance. And so in verse 28 he said, There is a God of heaven who reveals secrets. He has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. The latter days would point to the days of the Messiah, the Christian dispensation. And so he said, Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, who make known the interpretation of the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image is going to be made up of several different types of metals. So he said, this great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you. Its form was awesome. Now look at verse 32. This image's head was of fine gold. This head of gold represented the Babylonian kingdom. I said a moment ago that the Babylonian empire reigned from about 625 B.C. to 539 B.C. And then he said, its chest and arms of silver. This would have represented the Medo-Persian empire. The Medes came into being in about 539 B.C. And they reigned until about 331 B.C. He said, Its head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze. This would have depicted the Grecian Empire. And their empire lasted from 331 B.C. to about 63 B.C. Then he said its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. This would have been the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire began in about 63 B.C. and lasted until A.D. 476. Now listen to what he says in verse 34. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. The reference here, I believe, is the kingdom of God, the church. Then he said, Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Again, reference here being made to the kingdom of God or the church, this indestructible kingdom that is spoken of down in verse 44. Now, hold this verse if you would and turn over to Isaiah chapter 2 very quickly. You might want to make just a quick footnote out to the side of Daniel chapter 2 and listen to what Isaiah has to say regarding this exalted mountain that would ultimately fill the whole earth. In Isaiah chapter 2, in verse 2, Isaiah said, It shall come to pass in the latter days, again, pointing to the Messianic age, 
the gospel dispensation. He said, It will come to pass in the latter days, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. It shall be exalted above the hills. All nations shall flow to it. When he says all nations will flow to it, it is reminiscent of what Daniel said here with regard to this great mountain that filled the whole earth, underscoring the universal nature of this indestructible kingdom. He said, many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He'll teach us His ways. We shall walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And by the way, where did the church begin? Jerusalem. So Isaiah pinpointed the birthplace of the church. Now, pick up with me in verse 36 of Daniel 2 again. He said, this is the dream. We will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are king of kings, a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hands and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold, again, pointing to the Babylonian kingdom. After you shall arise another kingdom, inferior to yours. That would be the Medes and the Persians. And then he said, another kingdom, a third kingdom of bronze, the Grecian kingdom, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all others. Again, the Roman kingdom. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with the ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron, partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong, partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with the ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. Now, Look at verse 44. And in the days of these kings, what kings? The Roman kings. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Talking about the permanency of this kingdom. The fact that it would be indestructible. The kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it shall stand forever. Daniel here, foretelling of the kingdom of God that would come into existence several centuries later. Now, what I want to do is look at some passages in the New Testament that are connected to what we're talking about tonight. And I've got some bullet points for our lesson tonight. I want you to just follow along with me. I want us to read them together because I think if we look at the passages together, it will help us and help to ingrain in our mind what Daniel's talking about. First thing that I want to point out, when we talk about this kingdom, it was prophetically spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Isaiah foretold of this same kingdom. Micah spoke of the kingdom of God. Amos, or rather Joel, pointed to the coming of this kingdom, as did Amos as well. But nonetheless, look at Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul talks about the church and states that the church is God's eternal plan. 
I said not long ago in a class that there have been times that in my preaching and teaching I've talked about the church was a part, is a part of God's redemptive plan. I have stepped back and rethought that, and really when I think about the kingdom of God, the church, it was not, is not a part of God's redemptive plan, it is God's redemptive plan. And by that I simply mean that the church and Christ are inseparable. They go hand in hand. God's design was to save, to save people in Christ Jesus. The institution in which He saves people is the church. They go hand in hand, as I said a moment ago. So look at Ephesians 3. Beginning in verse 9, Paul writes, "...to make all people see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church." to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished or purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul here writing by inspiration in about A.D. 61-62, underscoring the fact that the church is God's eternal plan. It was His design. You remember John in the Revelation talked about the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The church existed in the mind of God before time began. So, to remember that this indestructible kingdom was foretold of by the prophets of God, men like John the Baptist preached about it, didn't they? Look at Matthew chapter 3 very quickly. We have John the Baptist beginning his er earthly ministry. And listen to what Matthew says about the ministry of John. Beginning in verse 1, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Interestingly, over in chapter 4, in verse 17, we read of Jesus beginning His public ministry. And in verse 17, Matthew says that His message coincided with that of John's. For He said, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, it is near to being established. And then look at Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew 16, we have one of the more familiar passages regarding the establishment of the kingdom of God or the church. Now, think about this for a minute. Daniel wrote centuries prior to the preaching and teaching of John the Baptist. There was about a 400-year interlude between the writing or the closing of the writing prophets in the Old Testament era and the beginning of the era that we call the New Covenant Age, the intertestamental period. When John began preaching, the very first thing that he talked about was the kingdom of God, the very kingdom that Daniel had foretold of, that exalted mountain that Isaiah had spoken of in Isaiah chapter 2. So with that in mind, in Matthew chapter 16, we have Jesus in Caesarea Philippi. He asked His disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon, Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then He said, And I also say to you, 
that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now let me just pause here for a minute. When Jesus promised to build His church, God always had in mind the one church. God's design was always to establish the one body, the one flock, or the one church. And Jesus identifies the one church as His body, doesn't He? So Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And then in verse 19, He said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven spoken of in verse 19 is the very same institution that Jesus spoke of in verse 18. And Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And by the way, the Greek tenses with regard to the binding, of loosing, binding and loosing foretold of by Jesus here. That had already occurred where? In heaven. The apostles were given keys to the kingdom of heaven. Keys signifying power or authority. Pentecost Day, they took the keys of the kingdom, unlocked the doors into God's, God's eternal kingdom. So, Jesus promised to build the church. And then look at Mark chapter 9. In Mark 9, verse 1, listen to what Jesus said with regard to the kingdom. Surely I say to you, that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Some translations say, come with power or present with power. Jesus affirming that there would be some who were alive at that point in time that would see the kingdom come with power. When did that occur? On Pentecost Day. As revealed by Luke in Acts chapter 2 with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the apostles. As a matter of fact, Jesus had instructed the apostles to tarry in Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high, according to Luke chapter 24 in verse 49. Now I said a moment ago that the church, prophetically speaking, was to be comprised of people of all nations. So with that in mind, turn again to Ephesians chapter 3. Look at Ephesians the third chapter for a moment. Listen to what Paul says regarding the church. If you step back and you think about the unveiling of God's redemptive plan, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, 15, following the fall of man, God began introducing His redemptive work, didn't He? That redemptive work was unveiled bit by bit, piece by piece. Those, prophet of, those prophets of old were pointing to the coming of the Messianic age, weren't they? They foretold of this divine kingdom. They foretold of the coming of the Christ, the suffering servant that we read about in Isaiah chapter 53. So look at Ephesians chapter 3 for just a moment. In Ephesians 3, Paul said, beginning in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation He made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in a few words, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Now here's the question. What is the mystery that Paul is writing about that had been formally concealed, unknown to many people in days gone by? 
He's going to tell us. Which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ through the gospel. All Paul is saying is that God's design was the church would be comprised of both Jews and Gentiles. Now, how did the Jews feel about the Gentiles? They looked down on them, didn't they? They deemed them as unclean, as dogs. And so what Paul is saying here, and as a matter of fact, what, what Luke tells us in Acts chapters 10 and 11, God used an object lesson to teach Peter and the other Jews that his intent from the very beginning of time was to include the Gentiles in the church, wasn't it? And so in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul makes this abundantly clear. Salvation is for all people. Now with that in mind, turn back to John chapter 10 and listen to what Jesus said. In John 10, Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd. And he said the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep in verse 11. In verse 16, listen to what Jesus said. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Who is, who is Jesus talking about here? I believe He's talking about the Gentiles. And I think what, he, what Jesus is saying on this occasion is, the other sheep which I have who are not of this fold, that is a reference to the Gentiles. And so he said, they will hear my voice. How will they do so? By hearing the gospel of Christ and responding favorably. You remember Jesus said in John chapter 6, it's written in the prophets, they shall all be taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and learned of the Father comes unto me. Teaching is the instrument by which people come to understand the terms of admission into the kingdom, don't they? And so in verse 16, he said, Them also I must bring, they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock. That is the one church, isn't it? That is the one kingdom. He said there will be one flock and one shepherd. He is the one shepherd, isn't he? The figures that he is using, the one flock and the one shepherd, we could translate those figures and say he is the one head and we are the one body. Same idea. So, the gospel is for all. Now with that in mind, look at Matthew 28. Look at Matthew chapter 28. I hope it helps to turn and read these passages together. In Matthew 28, beginning in verse 19, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of whom? Of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Again, emphasis on all nations. God des God's design was the gospel going to all the world. And you remember in Acts chapter 1, look at Acts 1 very quickly. In Acts chapter 1, in verse 8, Jesus said to the apostles that they would be His witnesses. He said, when you shall receive power from on high, when this power, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and listen to him, to the end of the earth, to the end of the age. The gospel began being preached where? City of Jerusalem. 
In Acts chapter 8, we have for the very first time the gospel going beyond the borders of Jerusalem. Where did it go to? Went to Samaria, didn't it? Jesus said they would be witnesses to Him in Jerusalem and then in all Judea, where Jerusalem was located. And then it went to Samaria. So in Acts chapter 8, when those disciples were scattered abroad as a result of great persecution, the Bible says that those who were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the Word. In verse 5, Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ to those people. And they were receptive and obeyed the gospel according to verse 12. Now, look at Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we have Pentecost Day coming. And the Bible tells us on Pentecost Day, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared to them divided or cloven tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now you know that the tongues that they spoke were languages, intelligible languages, that previously were unlearned to them. Somebody says, well, how do you know that? Well, drop down, look at verse 6. When this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Look at verse 11. With regard to all, all those who were present on Pentecost Day in Jerusalem, the text says we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So on this occasion, Peter and the other apostles do what? They preach the gospel. We have a record of Peter's sermon on Pentecost Day. This is the very first time that the gospel is, is preached or spoken in its fullness. Those who were present, they had the opportunity to hear about the crucified King, that is King Jesus, His resurrection and the fact that He would sit upon David's throne. It is a spiritual throne. Note if you would what He says. Drop down, look at verse 30. Therefore being a prophet, speaking of David, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his body according to the flesh he would raise up the Christ, to sit on His throne. He foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that His soul was not left in Hades, nor did His flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we're all witnesses. So they preached the gospel. In verse 36, Peter said, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly, this same Jesus whom you crucified, God has made Him both Lord and Christ. Verse 37, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They cried out to Peter and the rest of the apostles. They wanted to know, men and brethren, what shall we do? Note if you would, Peter now sets forth the terms of admission into what? The kingdom of God. Where did they get them? Where did they get the terms of admission? Well, didn't Jesus say that they would be given the keys to the kingdom of heaven? He said that in Matthew 16, verse 18. So, here's what Peter said. Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said the promise is to you, I believe that is the Jews, to your children, that is their descendants, and to all who are far off, I believe here, a reference made to the Gentiles. As many as the Lord our God will call. How then did God call people in the first century? How does He call people today? By the gospel of Christ, doesn't He? So, 
They heard the gospel. They believed what they heard. Verse 41, the Bible says, those who gladly received His word were baptized. That day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Look at verse 47. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This is the very first time in Scripture that we read of the church being established. Everything up to Acts chapter 2 is pointing in the direction of the establishment of the church. Acts chapter 2, we call it the hub of the Bible because here we have the birth of the church. From Acts chapter 2 forward, we read of the infancy of the church, don't we? The growth of the church. And the church grows by leaps and bounds. Now, I said a moment ago, Daniel foretold of an indestructible kingdom. Can we be a part of the kingdom that Daniel foretold of? Well, the answer is yes. How do we do that? By doing what they did in the first century. If we do what they did, we become what they were. And what were they? Members of the body of Christ. Members of the church of Christ. They identified with the kingdom of God, didn't they? Now, the kingdom as we know it, well, Daniel said it would stand forever. Some have asked the question through the years, has the church always existed since Pentecost? I think the answer is yes. Now, I can't give you a paper trail, historically speaking, of every congregation that has existed upon planet Earth since Pentecost Day. But I can tell you this, as long as the seed of the kingdom, which is the Word of God, exists, the church will always exist in seed form, won't it? But I have to believe that there have always been people around the globe that have honored what Scripture says. And you can go back and do some reading. There's some interesting articles that have been written about the church and the indestructible kingdom of God. And there's a lot of evidence out there that there have been Christians meeting around the globe since Pentecost Day. Now there are some, I want to close by saying, there are some that view the kingdom of God as something that is to come in the future. What you hear sometimes people say is that when Jesus came to earth, because He was rejected by His own people, the Jews, He failed in His efforts to establish the kingdom. Well, that's contrary to what Jesus said in Mark 9, verse 1, isn't it? He promised to establish the kingdom. So they say, in lieu of the kingdom being established, we have parenthetically what is called the church age. What they fail to understand is the church and the kingdom are one and the same, aren't they? Often used interchangeably. So I want to ask you, in the first century, were there people who identified as members of the kingdom of God? Do we have scripture for that? Well, let's look at Colossians chapter 1. Two passages very quickly. In Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, Paul said, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. How do we qualify to become a part of the inheritance of God? Are there, quali are there qualifying factors that enable us to put our hands on this inheritance that Paul talks about? Well, yes. The qualifying factors are the terms of admission into the kingdom of God. We obey the gospel. 
And Paul said, when we obey the gospel, we are delivered from the power of darkness. What is that? That's the world. That is the cosmos of iniquity, that domain dominated by the devil. And he said, we are translated, listen to him, into the kingdom of the Son of His love. When we obey the gospel, God delivers us out of, out of that territory defined as the world, placing us in the kingdom of God's dear Son, the church. It's in that sphere that we enjoy redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. And then look at Revelation chapter 1. Look at Revelation chapter 1 very quickly. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, John is writing to Christians who were suffering persecution. They were facing very difficult times. John was not immune to the suffering that they too were facing. He had been exiled to the Isle of Pat Patmos. And so in verse 9, here's what he said, I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom. John here identifying himself as a part of the kingdom of God. He said, In the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island, island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, there are a lot of other things that we could say about the kingdom, but the point is the church came with power on Pentecost Day. Established, bought by the blood of Christ, wasn't it? Jesus built one church. The one church today, the terms of admission have not changed. The doors of the church are open to any and all. Everyone today who hears the gospel, believes it, obeys the gospel, God puts them in the church. And the reason why we want to be in the body of Christ, the church, is because Jesus is the Savior of that body, isn't He? Look at Ephesians 5, 23. I think this is one of our memory verses. In closing, Ephesians 5, verse 23. Paul said the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church and he is the Savior of the body. So Jesus is the Savior of the body. So tonight I ask you, are you a member of the body that Jesus has promised to save? If you haven't done what the Bible says to do to become a part of that body, won't you do it tonight? Won't you let God add you to the church, the body of Christ? Won't you let Him put you in the one body so that when Jesus comes again, He'll take you home to be with Him forevermore? If you're here tonight and you believe Jesus to be the Son of God, and you would repent of your sins and be baptized into Christ, I promise you, He'll forgive you of all your sins. He'll put you in the church. And if you're faithful unto death, He'll give you a crown of life according to Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. If you're here tonight, and you're not what you ought to be as a child of God. You need the prayers of the church. Listen, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you. God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.